curious, competitive, compassionate. Salespeople are drawn to their careers in much the same way musicians are drawn to music. Once you've learned the language of sales, the beauty is in your ability to personally interpret what you've learned to suit your personality, your interest, and your skill. My name is Roger Burnett, and this is the So You're In Sales podcast, where we consider ways to grow as people as we advance in our careers and learn firsthand from those ahead of us on the path to accelerate our journey. I'm lucky to get to talk every two weeks with entrepreneurs, business owners, thought leaders, authors, and people of all walks of life, each with a unique story to share and a look at their lessons along the way. Prepare to be educated, informed, entertained, and inspired. This is the So You're In Sales Podcast. The So You're In Sales Podcast is sponsored by Social Good Promotions. Social Good Promotions was founded on the premise that any business can stand out from their competition when they are doing things they really believe in. True success these days is measured by the ways your employees feel about working for you and the ways your business is making the community a better place. Ultimately, it's about the ways you and your business will be remembered. If you're looking to grow your sales revenue while activating social good at the same time, we'll be your favorite marketing partner ever. Book a meeting with us at socialgoodpromotions.com, follow us on Instagram at sogoodpromo, and let's get connected. We've done great work using our unique and effective strategy. Let us show you how. Now, on with the show. When you share with a stranger you're from the Detroit area, inevitably the discussion turns to the city and its history of decline. The curious are always interested in the perspective of a local when it comes to the current status of our area and its livability in comparison to other areas of the country. My defense of our area and the most obvious result of its resurgence is the emergence of a high-quality fine dining scene with eight Detroit chefs and restaurants making the James Beard 2019 semifinalist list. Esquire magazine put two area eateries on their best new restaurants list last year, and the result is a diner's paradise, with new and interesting restaurants opening faster than anyone's ability to keep pace. Much like a career in sales, Staying relevant in the crowded, noisy, and competitive restaurant marketplace is no easy feat. I'm always interested in learning how other business leaders are not only surviving, but thriving in this environment. And as a lover of food, I was looking for the chance to find a willing guest to give us a look into the hyper-competitive marketplace. A native of rural Howell, Michigan, James Regato's cooking philosophy started to form with his grandparents, who exposed him to handcrafted Italian cuisine. At 14, he entered the restaurant business as a dishwasher and enrolled in Schoolcraft College's culinary program three years later. After graduating, Regato spent eight years working in some of Metro Detroit's finer restaurants, including Morel's, Shiraz, Rugby Grill, and Baco Restaurante. In 2007, Regato became the personal chef for Ed Mamo's business, Royal Oak Recycling and Royal Oak Storage, where his passion in the kitchen sparked their friendship and future partnership. Regato and Mamou opened the Root Restaurant and Bar in 2011, and Regato's Michigan-focused cuisine received regional and national attention. He competed on Season 12 of Bravo's Top Chef in 2013, and in 2015, he won Food & Wine's The People's Best New Chef Great Lakes. In 2016, Regato and Mamou brought their efforts closer to Metro Detroit, opening Mabel Gray in Hazel Park, with the restaurant earning a nod from James Beard as a semifinalist for Best New Restaurant, 
a spot on Eater's The 21 Best New Restaurants in America, and a 2016 Star Chef's Rust Belt Rising Star Award. Diners at Regato's Restaurants experience everything he loves about growing up and living in Michigan, and he's committed to making Michigan better for everyone. Among other outreach, he works with local elementary students to grow their own produce, and his Young Guns in-house dinner series showcased the work of Detroit's promising young chefs, and he vigorously participates in local benefits. I've had the good fortune to know Chef James dating back to his time prior to opening Mabel Gray, and I was so fortunate to have the chance to sit down with him one-on-one and talk about his experience, the rise of the Detroit food scene, and the challenges present in the competitive marketplace that he had a hand in creating. It was a really fun discussion, and I hope you enjoy it. Give it a listen. So Mondays are a special day for chefs, right? Because it's kind of like your weekend. Well, for some chefs. I mean, some restaurants are open seven days. But yeah, for us, you know, Sundays and Mondays are the days the restaurant's typically closed. Last night, we did a wine dinner with Mari from uh, Old Mission Peninsula. So we I worked all day yesterday. Tonight, I have a cocktail competition at Lady of the House. So I'm actually going to go, you know shake a few drinks. It's like, oh. it's like chefs making cocktails. Thing. Okay. Chef tails. Right. So technically I'm working tonight and then all of, and then, you know, that's my weekend and then I'm back to work in the morning. So, um, <laughs> so even when you're not working, you're working. Yeah. Right. But you know, I mean like, you know, food and beverage is like, even if I'm not working, I got to eat, you know what I'm saying? It's like, I'm in the business of eating and drinking. So like, <laughs> you know, I'm always, I'm always on the clock. Always on the clock. Yeah. No doubt. Well, we'll try to make this be a, a worthwhile time. Ah, for yeah. You I'm, I'm happy to be here. So, M- Mabel's what six years? Now? No, oh god, you're crazy. It's uh, coming up on its fourth year. Fourth year, well, yeah, like six. Yeah. yeah, it does. You know, I mean, and I moved quickly from the root to Mabel, right? So, right. like, I left the root officially in August, and then we opened in September at Mabel. So, like, I think you know, as someone like you who was coming into both restaurants, that transition was fast, right? And so, I mean, I signed the lease at the root, you know, 2010. Huh. So, I mean, it's been nine years of, like, you know, restaurant. Right. Like, be, I guess, like, being, a, you know, a manager. I mean, I didn't own the route, but it's, you know, it, you know. I was it's just, your baby, though. It, I mean, it was my it was my brainchild that kind of, like, I, you know, and that was, like, you know, that was just a, a blur of, like, <laughs> just nonstop work and bad yeah. behavior and just, like, too much, too much <laughs> drinking and just, like, you know, it was just a mess. It was, like, when, when you're 26 and, and you get handed, you know, the, the, the keys to, like, a fast car, you know. So it just was, it was too, it was too, it was too much. Um, and that's really where Mabel came from was like all the things, all the lessons I learned at the root. You probably don't remember this. So the cooking lesson that you gave yeah, me course, here yeah. was right before you went on the cross country trip. Oh yeah. You know, yeah. Well, of course I remember that because that's how we financed the cross country trip. So when I told Sam, I was like, I want to, I want to go on the great American road trip. I kind of was like, you know, I just got divorced. I was leaving the route. I was kind of like, you know, shedding that skin of like, you know, like that of, of, I don't know, that calloused skin that I developed at the route. I wanted to be like new. I wanted to be like, you know, I wanted to get a new lease on life. So, uh, I basically was like, I'm going to do, I think I did like 12 cooking classes for people. And then all that money basically financed the trip. So we did a month-long road trip. So I'm glad to know that it wasn't just me that financed you. No, it's like, it like you and 11 others. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. But I mean, I, you know, I had Mabel in my brain, and I wanted to make sure that it was a relevant restaurant and that it was meaningful for American food and not just, you know, cool for the local neighborhood. I wanted to make sure that, like, would it work in Boise, Idaho? Would it work in Portland? Would it work in San Francisco? Uh, you know, Austin, Nashville, Memphis. Like, would it be cool in Kansas City? So we went to all these – I mean I spent – I ended up spending about $12,000 in dining 
you know, in, in, in a month. Wow. Yeah. And I ate about 70 restaurants. So it was mostly market research, really? Yeah, absolutely. It was soul searching too. You know, I mean, I needed like, there's something, there's something about driving 8,000 miles, you yeah. know, like you just like, you kind of lay it all out there. You put yourself, um, I needed that, you know, for me, I was just, I was just wound tight. I was, um, overworked. I mean, I was just telling my staff the other day, I, I mean, this is 21 years in the industry now. And I spent the first like 14, 15, like broke, you know, like yeah. it's and so like, I think sometimes, you know, people come in, they're like, Oh, you know, like, Oh, James has made it. Mabel's busy. And like, you know, I bought a you know, it's almost like, wow. Like, you know, they, they see you as like, Oh cool. Like a successful chef, you know, I mean, you see the tip of the iceberg, right. you sure. know, there's this giant mass right. underneath that, yeah. um, you know, doesn't get the credit, but yeah, I mean, it was, about the same pay scale for like 14, 15 years, you know, and that's what, that's when a lot of chefs break, you right. know, that's why a lot of people leave the industry right. is because you're like waiting, you know, how many years do you buy a lottery ticket, you know, and, until you're like, how much money have I wasted on lottery tickets? It's faith. Yeah. It's faith. For sure. You have to put it in yeah. and hope that it's going to give it back to you. Correct. And if you don't, like, t- t- it's a valid question. How, how much faith can you have? Yeah. Until I'm done, I can't. Yeah, I can't. Pay yeah, in. until you're a martyr, until you're like dying for the faith that didn't, didn't come to fruition. You know? Yeah, yeah. So to me, that road trip was very much, um, I don't know, like a checkpoint or like a, you know, it was almost like erasing the giant chalkboard that I had like written on. You know, it felt like I was like starting, you know, over and cleansing my soul and kind of getting ready for um, the next you. Yeah, from from Mabel, you know, and I think Mabel's definitely um, the restaurant that has always been you know, inside of me. So, so the top chef era. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the thing that, um, actually not even top chef, young guns, the young guns yeah, era, yeah. right? So was that, was that a, a conscious decision on your part or did that, was that the happenstance that you said like, Hey, there's other good chefs in town. You know, if you go back to like 2011, 12, 13, uh, being a chef in Detroit or a chef in Michigan, I say Detroit, but you know, Southeastern Michigan, um, wasn't it wasn't glamorous you know there wasn't a lot of media coverage there wasn't a lot of connect the dots so people just kind of were out there floating the customer base wasn't quite aware of you know sometimes even who the chef of a restaurant was remember when brandon kelman was at imperial his name wasn't on the menu he wasn't even known it was just like oh they make tacos there and they're pretty good right you know and so i actually met a chef paul verant out of chicago and he uh, we did a dinner together and he invited me to go to chicago and um at first, I just thought I was so naive. I was like, I think I was 27. And he was like, oh, you should come, do, come out and do a dinner with us. And I thought he was just inviting me to, like, help in the kitchen. <laughs> so as it's like, you know, the day's getting closer and there's this group text and I don't recognize any of the numbers. And so I ended up, like, texting Paul. And I was like, hey, who's on this text? <laughs> and he's like, oh, it's Paul Kahn and Bill Kim and, you know, Johnny Andres. And I'm like, oh, okay. So it's, like, badass chefs that I respect, uh, that, you know, restaurants that I've, like, coveted. And now I'm going to go cook with them. I'm going to do a course. I, I was just like, oh, like I was like, you know, 10, 15 years younger than these guys and like, you know, super nervous. So right. I went out there, we did this dinner and it was all these Chicago chefs just hanging out, supporting each other, tasting food, cooking together, high five and patting on the back. And I was like, what? This is brilliant. This is what I want, mm-hmm. you know? So I came back to Michigan and I was like, you know, I know of like 10, 12 fun guys that I respect and, and you know, and, and cook with and love. Um, and girls, and uh, I basically started doing these dinners. So I basically texted out, I think the first five or six guys that I could think of, and they were all guys at the time, because I mean, that was just kind of like the scene was saturated in a lot of male chefs. Right. Um, I was like, hey, you know, you guys want to do a dinner? Let's just do a dinner at the root, I'll host you, you know, 
pay your pay for your food. Let's just do this. Like, let's just do this thing. And they all said, yeah, let's do it. And um, the first one was uh, super successful. So I was like, let's do a second. And it just got, I mean, we did, we did six dinners in one year, two months apart. And it just, by the last one, it was at Baco, 180 guests. I flew in three different chefs from around the country. Um, I mean, Malin, uh, Melissa, and um, Adam, you know, so top chef people with me. And then uh, I think Ed Sura from Chicago came in for that one. I'm missing somebody else too. Garrett Lapar, I think, was a part of that. So, you know, I just brought in people that I respected. And I mean, it, it, it was like, I don't know, 250 bucks a person for that last, you know, it was like, it was a high end dinner with, you know, chefs from around the country. Um, by the sixth dinner, you know, we, the first one was just me and some buddies thinking it was a good idea. And, you know, one year later, it was, like I said, it was a collection of chefs from around the country doing, you know, probably one of the highest priced dinners you know, of that year, you know, to a, it sold out, I think in less than 18 hours. So I'm standing in line at Baco waiting to get in. And it was like going to like the biggest concert that you could go to, and the people in line were pumped. Yeah, for sure. To come into that place, yeah, and to sit and be a part of what was going down. So, I think um, in a lot of ways it was a little bit like uh, the the time when it was the time, like the, the the era that that was. Social media was still getting like it was a thing, but it wasn't the thing that it, it's not the awful thing that it is today, <laughs> right? But. Um, word was getting around yeah that that this was a thing right yeah and to me the dining scene here hadn't seen anything like that before maybe not at least in this generation not in this and the the um the conflagration of like people starting to choose experiences over things yeah uh, the idea of like having a great meal with somebody that you saw on TV. Yeah. Right. Like all of those things were coalescing in a way that gave you that opportunity, but, but you carried that through and, and it's kind of been to me, like it's been the hallmark of what James Rogato is as a restaurateur in Detroit. So like how, how has that manifested itself for you even like, so you go to Chicago, you see all this collaboration. You're like, that's exactly what I want to have happen. Did it get to a point where it stopped having to be your energy to make that happen? Did things start coming, a, yeah. coming to you or did you have to continue to like put your own energy in making that happen? I'd say that, you know, one thing that I love is that I'd start to see collaboration dinners that I wasn't a part of, right. you know, and that's, and that's awesome. I think the, you know, some people would push back with like, oh, you know, I remember one time somebody called me and was like, you know, these fucking guys are like, you know, stealing your thunder. And I'm like, no, man, like getting chefs to talk and cook together is a good thing. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's a, it's a, it's okay. It's a good thing. You know what I'm saying? Like we, we like, we broke the dam and now like, you know, now the riverbed's flooding. This is what we want, you know? And I think that, you know, to me, the the scene is, you know, it was going to grow no matter what, you know, Detroit with this, you know, restaurant scenes oftentimes follow other booms, you know, obviously you go to, you know, dot com boom, then obviously restaurants are going to open in the Bay Area, you know what I'm saying? Like, they just follow, you know, go to, go to any financial district and you're going to have a high end steakhouse. Follow like, the money. Yeah, they just, you know, they follow the customers and they follow the money and they follow the culture. So... You know, I think, and then inside of that boom, you'll see like, okay, yeah, I went to Hazel Park, which is like, you know, now it's a destination restaurant. But I mean, that's also part of the the boom at large in Southeast Michigan. You know, to say, I mean, Detroit's the real capital of Michigan, and Southeastern Michigan is the real, uh, you know, 
nervous system of Detroit. You know, obviously Detroit has this, you know, wonderful history and it's, you know, it, it, and the city itself deserves its own border and their own story. But, you know, the customer base at large is a very mobile group. Sure. So if you open a restaurant in Ann Arbor, you know, there's going to be some Detroit customers coming to see you. Right. You know, I mean, like, just like Windsor. Windsor is like a neighborhood of Detroit. Right. You know, and then Canada is a, is a, is a fellow, you know, is a, is, a, is a neighbor as well. I mean, I look at Canada as a resource. You know, Canada to me is closer than Chicago. It's, so I think oh, about yeah. <laughs> Toronto. I think about you know Stratford, Windsor. You know all these. I mean, I was just touring Point Pelee for a potential pop up um, next year. You know, so I, you know, I look at, I just look at this, this part of the you know I guess America as you know one big, you know potential customer or yeah. potential dinner. Um, so so yeah, I mean I think that the, the boom was going to happen no matter what. But I just wanted to guess have my little signature on there and say. You know, these are chefs that I find value in. These are, and really what it was, was these are chefs that work in their kitchens, curate food, refuse mediocrity, um, excel and go above and beyond and care uh, more than the, the restaurants that don't. And my whole, my whole model, I'm sure you remember some of my, you know, soapbox speeches, huh. was like support restaurants that have a chef. Right. You know what I'm saying? Support restaurants that are locally owned. Like think about the people that are impacted by the, you know, you go out to eat a lot, you know, house accounts and, you know, pharmaceuticals, you're spending thousands and thousands of dollars, tens of thousands, you know, sometimes. And that impacts, you know, people and farmers and, you know, the, the economics of food is, is, is a big thing. Yeah. And I mean, when I was in, I didn't leave Michigan when in the recession, I kept cooking here. And I remember standing in line with 10 other applicants to be a part-time pizza cook at Pasquale's. Wow. You know, it was like $10 an hour. Wow. In like 2008 or nine, I think maybe 2009. And I didn't get the job. You know what I'm saying? Like I had a school craft degree and I was a private chef and I was like looking for some weekend warrior, just kind of fun. I was like, you know, it was like a very depressing time to be cooking. I just wanted to make some pizzas and kind of chill out. And I said, I didn't get hired. Isn't you know? crazy? Yeah. And so I tell my cooks that all the time. I was like, you know. Now you can't, you know, you, you see cook, chefs are begging for cooks for $18 an hour, $16 an hour, and people are, are no-showing interviews. Crazy. You know, but I was, you know, like I said, 10 years ago, standing in line for $10 an hour pizza cook. Crazy, crazy, you know? crazy. But that's just, that's how fast the scene has changed here, you know? And I also believe it's how fast it can go back, you know? So it's it's all about, you know, believing in your product, doing the right thing. You know, I always say integrity is doing the right thing when no one's looking, which is really important in food, you know, because like... I can, you know, a lot of people can buy, I can buy one thing and say it's another. I can buy Atlantic farm-raised salmon and tell you it's wild. Yeah. You know, I can lie all day yeah. long, but what, yeah. you know, from, you're always, to, to what benefit? You're always joking about the uh, the guy who says that he's farm to table and the Gordon food service truck is back. Oh, yeah, the of course. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's, and those words are like, you know, farm to table, you don't even really say anymore. It's dead, you know, because like it's, it's ruined. It's like artisan or like. You know, heritage, all those words that like really have deep meaning that, you know, McDonald's or Panera or somebody else just slaps on a, you know, a strawberry salad they do. It's now, you know, you're, it's, it's over, you know? So to me, like, I definitely don't, I I definitely don't participate in those trappings anymore. It's just like food. People like, I get asked all the time when I'm on the road, oh, what kind of restaurant are you? And I'm always like, I don't know. You, know what? you tell me. I'm my place. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a guy who likes yeah. to play Biggie and Chardet and, <laughs> cook vegan food one month out of the, out of the year. So. Yeah, 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 essentially. <laughs> but from a community perspective, right, I mean, like, that that was big for you was um, building a space. But, I mean, you, you have a spot for another chef. Yeah. 
at your kitchen. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's Mabel was designed to be um, a think tank and a shareable space and a gallery. I mean, that's why our whole when I when I even pitched to the health department, my, I was like, my main line is one stainless steel counter. And they were like, no, you can't have that. You have to have refrigeration. You have to have like, you know, like, you know, low boys and clothes. And I, I do underneath the counter, I have low boys, the low boy refrigerators. But I was like, no, you don't understand. I was like, every day is a blank slate. You know, we basically prep everything every day and we write a menu and that's, and that's it. And so when a guest chef comes in, there's no like, oh, well, you have to use this or you have to do that. You know, I think in our first year, I mean, I had like, Andy Holiday and Doug come in and we just did like one plate and one beer each just to yeah. like a little fun little dinner you know obviously I've had you know a number of chefs from around the country come in um, you know we've been vegan I've had ta- you know we were at Taqueria for you know three weeks our first year just my buddy Omar who is a phenomenal chef who, who never got um, any kind of like you know menu uh, placement or never it was, it was never he's not known he's kind of like an under the radar guy right but to me he's one of the best cooks I've ever worked next to so I gave him you know hey man we worked together for 15 years on and off you're the chef now you know and that, yeah. that was an incredible opportunity for me and for Omar and you know I got I went to Italy and made dinner in Abruzzo at the, when, during that time period so you know everybody wins everybody wins and that's yeah. that's, that, it's, that, that's how every business scenario should be with when chefs get together you know yeah. what I'm saying? You sh- and that's why, like, there's a lot of events that go on where it's like, oh, you'll get great exposure, but, you know, you got to pay for food and you got to pay for, like, you know, you know, we don't, we basically, we'll, we'll put you in our, whatever, our newspaper or magazine, but you got to, you know, provide, you know, a thousand samples for free. It's like, that's extortion, right. you know, like these chefs, like, and I, I'm at a point where like, you know, I'm, you know, I'm in a busy restaurant. I, you know, I make a good wage. So like, I don't, you know, I can afford to do that now, but like the, the like the problem is like there's a lot of restaurants and chefs that can't. Right. I know too many chefs that that you know make less than sixty grand a year and work eighty hours a week. Yeah. That's a problem. When you ask them for something for free, that's a problem. Right. You know. So I think that you know chefs sticking together and making sure everybody wins and making sure that like you're sharing the space. And now especially you know we're in a time where you know it's about time to like you know people of color and women and, you know, just, just other points of view get, have a place at the table. Right. And it's, to me, it's, it's a, it's a very exciting and, and transformative time to be a chef because food is where we're always looking to like connect history and lineage and story. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's exciting to be able to, you know, have a canvas at this time of, you know, um, really interesting art. Well, and like for me, like, um, so, so, so if it is a collaboration of artists, it's, it's a collaboration that you helped make happen. And we're f- four years in now, right? And so it's not what it was four years ago. Yeah. So, so talk about the scene today in your mind. Like, how has it evolved? Where are we in this, in this evolution of what the Metro Detroit dining scene is like? And, and how do you feel like Mabel fits in? to that canvas as it exists today? You know, I think Mabel, Mabel I think still fits in. Um, for one, we're in Hazel Park, right? So we're this little um, kind of unique community. We're two mile by two mile town. Um, you know, we're a destination restaurant. We're small. I think small is definitely a, a very important part because we'll fill up fast or we'll book fast because you know we've limited seats. I think that if I was a 200 seat restaurant in today's climate, I'd be a little more nervous. Um, Right now, it's a very hard market to penetrate because the restaurant opening is no longer a news story. Uh, and our talent pool has only gotten thinner, right? Mm-hmm. All the qualified 
talented chefs to open a restaurant have been made partners or have investors, so they're, they're owners. So all these chefs have golden handcuffs, which is good, right? I mean, I've been pushing that to, to my fellow friends and chefs for, for a long time, like, you know, equity, right? right. Like, if, you're, if you want me, then it's equity, you know, and, and that, that has worked in a lot of, you know, I look at Brad Greenhill, Takoy was a food truck. Now he's about to open up a second restaurant. Kate Williams, who bounced around, you know, and didn't find the right fit. And then she got a partner and now she owns Lady of the House. She's about to open Carl's, you know, she's on fire. She had a, you know, she probably had, you know, a phen- you know one of the best years of uh, any chef's career um, last year, you know, from food and wine and James Beard nominations, to, you know, Pete Wells did a write up in the New York Times. I mean, like she, you know, so, and like, these are these are chefs that like you know again you know we're hanging out five six years ago looking for opportunities. Like I said Brad was like a you know a career changer who started doing a little food truck. You know like, this is that you know they made a movie about a chef is right? you know that's kind of like <laughs> you know the whole premise of chef. So I think that you know Detroit is obviously part of a larger trend of, of cities becoming food towns, right? Sure. Like you look at you know you can go to San Francisco it's probably the first city I think in the that really kind of adopted European practices with restaurants. You know, you can look at Jeremiah Tower and Alice Waters opening up Chez Panisse. And, and then, you know, obviously, it, it, just, it, it goes to New York City. And, it just, it, it, you know, it goes, it goes almost like, you know, viral in, if the 60s and 70s had such a thing. Um, and then Portland, you know, 12, 15 years ago, Portland, Maine, you know, Austin. So Detroit is just kind of one of these cities now, in my opinion, where you're getting um, chefs are becoming owners. Decision making in food business is now from chefs and not from you know um, large investment firms. That's kind of like today, right? Moving forward, the next four years is almost the opposite problem. It's like what happened to Manhattan. You know, it's when the money gets too big. Mm-hmm. Now the artist made it cool. Mm-hmm. You know, and then and you also see this in like neighborhoods, gentrification, right? right, right so right. restaurants sometimes are like we're, we're both like the the you know the shark and the you know and the seal because. We'll go in a neighborhood that maybe has you know certain certain forms of art and certain type of people, and the restaurant gets so popular that it raises rent, and then some people get you know forced out, and then it gets really popular, and then it get, the building will get bought, and the restaurant gets kicked out because now it's part of tech town <laughs> right. or medical facility, right. you know. So like it's this, it's a dog eat dog environment. So sometimes we're both, um, you know, I guess like uh, you know, I don't know, the criminal and the victim, you know? <laughs> right? But I think that. For you know, for 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 now, the good restaurants are still busy and strong and doing well. Um, but to me, when you look at when you look at downtown Detroit and how fast it's changing, and there's you know, when a restaurant is like, oh, it's the fifth concept coming out of Cleveland, or it's you know the uh, a hospitality group that has a you know a famous person attached to it, but they're not necessarily there a lot. And sometimes that's good, like Roast, right? Roast opened up. That was a, Roast was was a game changer yeah. for Detroit. That really, that really was the one. Yeah. And so I mean, I, and I applauded it. Cleveland and Detroit to me, they're sister cities. Yeah. I've I've always said that. Like Michael Simon to me was like was a hero. Yeah. And I think that like you know Cleveland and Detroit have the same. It's like Milwaukee. We have the same problems. We have the same. We have the same positive things. And we have the same problems. Yeah. You know, and then you look at Shinola and Andrew Carmelini, who's a chef that I respect tremendously, and he's a really talented guy. And he's a nice guy. And, you know, um, Sam Morello is doing a good job. Like, that's a great restaurant and a beautiful hotel. So that's a good thing. Do we need five more <laughs> hospitality <laughs> right, groups right, coming right, in, opening right. hotels with celebrity chefs? Absolutely not. Right. So while one is good, is there room for two or three? Right. Well, I think that, you know, somebody's demographic report is going to say yes, but I'm going to say no 
because four years from now, you know, yeah, well, maybe we'll be lost in the wash. I don't know. There's a lot, you know, I think hometown hero always has an advantage. Yeah. But at the same time, um, you know, restaurants aren't meant to, to last forever. So I definitely think that Detroit is now uh, full steam ahead uh-huh. where, you know, when you're talking about the Young Guns dinner, it was kind of like, you know, it was like, you know, starting the engine, warming, yeah. it, warming it up. Oh, you're a pioneer. Yeah. Here, I mean, and like, I don't want to take too much credit. You know, I think that like what I did was kind of knock down some walls that chefs maybe had in our way because of ownership. Uh-huh. And a lot of owners didn't want chefs out there networking or they, right. didn't, they didn't want their chef doing events that weren't profitable right. for the restaurant. Right. You know, and so like that's kind of I had I, my, my business partner is very um, open minded and fun and silly and loves art and just kind of like, you know, all I, I mean, he's never told me no. Right. And so when I was like, I'm going to get all these chefs together and we're going to do these dinners and it's not really profitable, but it's going to be fun. And he was like, okay. That's not, you know, <laughs> and I think he only went to like one or two of them. You know? he's, he's just that kind of guy. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I remember there was a restaurant owner that I was like, hey, we have a photographer, Jacob Lukow, who's a phenomenal photographer. He's going to do these for free, but we're going to throw him a little gift card for each restaurant. And I tried to redeem it. I basically reached out. I was like, hey, remember when your chef participated? Um, I want to have my photographer get reimbursed to your restaurant, like a hundred bucks. Oh, I never agreed to that. Oh, geez. Yeah. So like, you know, and I was like, I was like, you know what, man, fuck you. Right. And so, you know, <laughs> and like to me, like that's, that's part of the problem. Right. You know, and that restaurant's no longer open. Right. Right, and right, but like, you know, that's like when you try to kill that creativity and you know what, man, maybe the, maybe the numbers were bad. Maybe they were, you know, going down. I'm not gonna, you know, I don't know. I'm not that upset about it, but like, but it feels like karma, though. It just is like, right? come it feels on, like, like karma. Well, it's like a photographer is no different than a chef, man. Where you know we're living and dying. You're, you're only as good as your last picture. You're, Agreed, you know, right? so like to me, like when a art, when somebody shoots photos that you then share and use, and you can't throw them with dinner, you know, fuck you. That's right. That's right. That's totally well. So so it's interesting to me to hear you say like so. What you're describing is uh, a difficult labor market. With not enough talent, correct. Based on the volume of um, scale, yeah, that's happened, right? Absolutely. I mean, that like, that's you know that could that you could end the podcast right there. That's essentially what's happening right now. You know, and I feel like it's almost like any other boom, right? If you look at like I live in Hazel Park, all these houses were built in the '40s and '50s to accommodate uh, you know the, the labor market that was moving up from the south. Yeah. Hence Hazel Tucky, right? Right. <laughs> and the racetrack, obviously, you know, helped give it that name, but. You know, these houses are built quick, fast, and with cheap materials. Yeah. I spent a lot of time uh, traveling. You go to Italy. There's 250-year-old houses. They're made of stone and marble. You know what I'm saying? Only earthquakes can bring them down. Right. So, like, that's how the housing market of this boom is is comparable to the talent pool of the boom. Yeah. You know, just, you know, run them, you know, cheap, fast, and hard. That's kind of how, that's just, you know, in and out. So, like... Who's a chef? You know, okay, your, your, your fifth concept, you come in, you interview, boom, 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 you, 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 go, 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 and then you go on to the next one. Well, then your chef isn't qualified, or maybe he's or she is uh, working too much, or they're not, you know, they're not um, educated, or, you know, in, in the operation side, so then they can't really answer to your demands of like 18% labor and 25% food costs, and, you know, and then they, they, you know, then they get in over their head, maybe they have an alcohol problem, and just, you know, just, you're, you're not doing any favors. Instead of doing it, you know, you know, methodical and and uh, investing in the education of your staff, 
Right. You know, it just you just end up burning people out, and then your product suffers, which the product was probably not that great in the first place. <laughs> you know, so it just this this is the this is the watering down. It's the diluting of the brand. Yeah. It's it's you know like it's when like whiskey, right? Five six years ago was just like, and I mean bourbon's still blowing up, but everyone wanted to open a distillery. Right. So all of a sudden you have two three four year age bourbons hitting the market. You know, quote bourbons coming out of all these distillers, and they suck. Right, you know, but like I like Jim Beam is better than most of these like local distilleries totally. pumping out whiskey. Totally, because Jim Beam's a, a badass product that's <laughs> that's been like it's it's grown at scale, you know, at like a hundred year trajectory. Right, the right barrels, the right product. Right. You know, it's so like I'd rather drink Jim Beam than most of your local artists in whiskey. Agreed, agreed, totally, totally. What you're describing is very much like trying to recruit salespeople. Mm-hmm. When there's lots of choices, there's lots of opportunity, there's lots of places that people can go work. How, how does what Mabel, the culture of Mabel, allow you the opportunity to say, here's a place where I feel like, here's what makes us who we are as a potential employee of the yeah. organization. Like, how, how intentional are you when it comes to that part of it? So we have a staff of about 19 people. I have very little turnover. Um, in the restaurant, which I'm, I'm thankful for and I'm proud of, um, obviously, like you know, the you know money, right? So I pay well, and um, people, you know, can make a, a quality living at Mabel. So that that's like number one. Obviously, people, no one's going to work just for experience or right, right. Know, or whatever or, st- or st- status. So yeah, I'm very methodical. So I'll interview people as far as six months out. You know, so like I'll stage a cook that comes in, which means like a shadow, so we'll hang out for the day, and I'll let them know I don't have a position for you right now. And I'm not forcing anybody out. So um, I'll let you know where I think you should go work to get a comparable experience. Mm. And I send a lot of cooks. I mean, Andy at Selden, I mean, I probably sent him 12 people in the last four years. You know, you interview with me. I kind of figure out what you are, um, are interested in. And I'll tell you, you know, go here, go there. I feel like for you, what I witness in your, in your restaurant is it's, a, it's people who identify with something that's bigger than themselves. For sure. The people that work for me definitely understand what Mabel is. And I often, I just said it last night at our dinner, um, our biggest asset is hospitality, you know, and in service. And I always say you can buy service and you can buy food. You cannot buy hospitality. It's a gift that has to be given. It's a choice, right? So your server and the, and the staff have to honestly give it as a gift. Yeah. Because like, it's not like, you know, I can run and get you food and pour you wine and, you know, clean your table. That's how, that's service. Right. You know, hospitality is that energy and that like real warmth. And, and, and desire to please. Like, like I said, that's not, you, I can't even make my staff do it. Right. I have to encourage them and, and lead by example and create an environment where they feel like um, they should, mm-hmm. you know, and they want to. Mm-hmm. So to me, yeah, I mean, daily, daily communication, daily lineups, I'm traveling, I'm bringing back stories and, and, and products, and um, they're my storytellers. So there you have it. There's a lot of really great stuff in there. Some of the notes that I took was the idea is to believe in your product, do the right thing, don't use buzzwords because they get overused and they ultimately end up losing their meaning, don't get extorted by a customer who wants you to do things for free in exchange for something that may not happen, it's important to look towards the future when you're making decisions about what you want to do with your life, it's really important to surround yourself with other talented people and be willing to take advice and share your own advice with others when it comes to um, creating your craft. Don't dilute your brand. 
keep your culture together so that your staff won't leave you and you can create magic by encouraging people to give gifts away to your customers on behalf of both you and them. So many great things to be found in there, but most importantly, it really centers around making sure that you have an environment that people want to be a part of and work towards something bigger than yourself. I hope you all enjoyed that as much as I did. And if you're liking what we're doing, please subscribe to the podcast so that we can keep bringing on great guests and provide you additional content. Thank you.